Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm the co-host Sarah and this week I'm not joined by Helen because this is one of our special guest episodes. For new listeners, every month we invite one guest to join us who we believe is making the world of work better for everyone. And this week is particularly uh, special for me personally because it's somebody I'm really inspired by but also someone who I think is a pioneer in the field of making work better. So I'm delighted to welcome Dame Stephanie Shirley to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Lovely to be here. Um, For people who don't know Dame Stephanie, I suspect that's not many people. They might not know everything, so I'm going to do a quick short introduction and then we'll get into uh, lots of questions because there's so much fascinating stuff for us to talk about. So I reread Dame Stephanie's book, which is called Let It Go. In preparation for today, I've seen Dame Stephanie talk a couple of times. And as Dame Stephanie will see, there are lots of post-it notes in the book because the big struggle for today was actually working out what to talk about because there were so many things that I was fascinated about. But I think what's rare about the book uh, in terms of business books is that it's both a personally inspiring story, your life is fascinating, almost autobiographical story, and a really brilliant business book. So that combination, I think I've rarely read a book that I felt was simultaneously a story as well as really good business advice. Readers say that I'm unusually honest because I talk about my own problems and difficulties and things I did wrong as well as the occasional success. Yes, and actually that candour, candour is probably one of the words I would use to describe the book, and I also felt that you were still happy to reflect and consider on how things had happened, why they'd happened, where things went well, but also where things hadn't gone as well. If you just read the headlines, and if I just read some of your headlines, like you started a business when you were 29 with £6, you ended up with a total wealth of over £140 million, of which it's worth saying most of it you've given away or let go. You know, those headlines, I think, can feel quite daunting for people. But actually, when I read the book, albeit I definitely was nervous about meeting you this morning... I still felt there was a lot of warmth and humanity in the story. Good. So that was really great. And so for people who don't know um, Dame Stephanie's story, Dame Stephanie's originally, original name, and we'll come on to names because it's a bit of a theme, uh, was Vera. I bet you can't pronounce it correctly. Oh, go on. You pronounce it for me then. Buchtal. Okay. I'm really glad I didn't (laughs) didn't decide to give that a go. (laughs) Uh, That was a very kind interjection there. And you arrived in the UK five on the Kinder Transport train. I learned about that through reading your book. I felt like I was having partly a history lesson. And this was a train that came from Austria and Vienna and those kind of places 
where it was just children, I think, who came to the UK escaping Nazi Germany. I was so lucky. Yeah, but a big, at five, that's a big thing to leave your parents behind. You had your sister who was nine at the time with you, is that right? Well, she had the dubious responsibility of looking after me as well. So I was clutching her hand, very much the younger sister. It is now considered a bit of recent history. But to me, it was a very traumatic experience that Mm. has actually made my life. I'm still conscious of it. I've still realised that that's what drives me day by day. You can see how, when I was thinking about the themes for our discussions today, that resilience, that ability to bounce back from adversity, I felt was a real theme in the book, you know, almost because your life started in that way from a very young age. And so... As well as, uh, you know, reading about your business and some of the successes you've had, I also felt in the book I got to know your family pretty well. Uh, So your husband, Derek, your late son, Giles, who very early in his life was diagnosed with autism. And that led, that has kind of since led to a lot of philanthropic work. So as well as a very successful business career, you actually combined that with a lot of charitable work, um, which you actually did simultaneously. A lot of people kind of do the work thing, stop and then decide, but actually you sort of combine the two for quite a long period of time. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about three topics. That was kind of my task was to try and get it to three things, which are resilience, a kind of relentless commitment and hard work and drive to deliver things that you believe in. And then the third area is having faith in other people. This really stuck with me at the very end of the book. Dame Stephanie, uh, and I'm kind of pracing a bit, talks about we all have virtues often hidden and potential often unrealised. Believing what others can achieve, trusting others is also about respecting yourself. And that really stuck with me, this idea of letting go came back again and again. And it's actually hard sometimes to do that, especially when it's been your own business. So we'll explore that a bit more. So let's start with when you started work. So one of the things that shocked me, I think, was just the world of work that you went into. Uh, Quite tough. I mean, I think people imagine that women's liberation was sort of really a long, long time ago, but it isn't. It's only one generation ago. Yeah. Um, So when I started work at the age of 18, I was horrified to find that there were two pay scales, one for men and one lower pay scale for women. And, I mean, it just seemed to me so unfair. No other word for it. And um, when... Handsome young men used to offer to carry my equipment for me. Um, I would say very aggressively, I believe in equal pay and will carry my own things. Nowadays, of course, I sort of say, oh, thank you very much. It's very helpful. (laughs) And sometimes I think I feel quite disappointed that we've not come further in terms of, yes, we now have equal pay, but most companies still have quite a big gender pay gap. But actually, I think probably reading your book made me reflect on probably just how far we have come. And actually it gave me that context, I think. It's good that you see it positively like that. Yeah, I think so. You know, where did that drive, I guess, when you were starting work to believe in equality come from? Was it because you had role models? I didn't read at that point thinking, oh, you could see it in other people. It felt like it came more from, from you and just your belief system. I think it came straight from me. Mm. Um... I had been conscious of being patronised as a Jew in Nazi Europe. And then when it started, you know, I was going to be patronised as a woman uh, because I was brought up in a very humanitarian way. Then it was clear that this is unfair. 
Um, mm. And I, it's a term I use quite often because philanthropists are wanting to make the world a, a fairer place. Yeah. And when you're at the receiving end, you're at the bottom of the food chain, life seems very tough. And so I became fairly assertive about equal everything. Yeah. Um, equal rights, equal nationality, equal pay, equal opportunities, just as important. And the sense that I got was that you kind of found your way round and through systems. So there was one example of the book where you were looking to be promoted. And at that point, women weren't promoted to those levels. And I think you sort of went and saw the external advert and then got your way there in the end. Was that the way you found your way through it was just sort of circumventing the system a little bit. <clears throat> it's interesting that you picked up that because it was an extraordinary thing to do, really. I, know. I mean, I was only 20 or something like that. I was chuckling away when I was reading it. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are, you don't have to bash your way through obstacles. You can go under, you can go over, you can mm. go around. Eventually, in my case, I went elsewhere and set up my own company in order to get away from all those sexist cultures. The sexist culture really was all-pervasive. And my generation of women, we really were fighting the the legal aspects that you were legally not allowed to mm. work on the stock exchange. You were not supposed not to work at night, though I must say I always did. I had to get a male signature for most financial transactions. I even had to get my husband's um, permission to open the company bank account. Yeah. These are things that are very sort of down-putting. And, and I became very proud and up with this I will not put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably quite a good link. So we often talk about TED Talks on this podcast as really useful things for inspiration. And you did a TED Talk called... Why Ambitious Women Have Flat Heads, which I think is my favourite TED Talk title of all time. Just explain to our listeners why it's called that. Well, at the moment, if you could see me, I've got my <laughs> best hair, hairdo on. and it's Being I've ruined by microphones and headphones, though, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but I started off in a very simple way of marketing, and I know you're a marketeer, in that I was looking in the newspapers for organisations, corporates, who wanted to employ programmers mm -hmm. and I would contact them by letter because we didn't have anything else saying I'm, I'm not applying for your programming job but I can help you with programming because I would have this new service and people laughed at the idea of a software house because software at that time was given away free with the hardware and, yeah. and you couldn't possibly sell software certainly not as a woman so I've, these letters went out, I, I think, six to a dozen a week, beautifully typed because I had a part-time secretary who came in on Tuesday afternoons and would churn <laughs> them out on a little portable typewriter, Aww. but they looked good. And I sort of said, <laughs> she, you, they really have to look as if they're coming out from the chairman of a large corporate. And she did. I'm still in contact with <laughs> Barbara Edwards. Um, but um, they got no reply whatsoever. Okay. Really no response. They all went into the waste paper basket. And my dear husband suggested that I use the family nickname of, of Steve instead of Stephanie, this double feminine, Stephanie Shirley. So I had started writing the same letters, signing Steve Shirley. And surprise, surprise, we began to get some response. 
I began to get some meetings. Very interesting. And because I had a good story to tell, I did eventually start to get some work. <laughs> and where does the idea of flatheads come from? I think you can tell ambitious women by the shape of their heads because they we all have flat heads from being simply patronised and patted on the head. <laughs> there, there, dear. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. Somebody um, was actually saying to us anecdotally uh, with the book that we've written that actually business books written by men are apparently mainly bought by men and women, but business books written by women are bought by women. And I said, I really hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. I really hope that's not true now. And actually a couple of people have suggested to us that we don't put our first names on our book, that we do well, Look at J.K. Rowling. Yeah. It still applies. Yeah, but I um, refuse to do that. I'd rather... Good uh, for you. I think you've got to now, because of all of the amazing things that you've done and you know, women of your generation, if we can't use our first names... You know, I feel I, I you know, you're not making progress. I notice that there are a lot of androgynous names, Joe, mm. Leslie and so on, where yeah. people are still sort of ambivalent about not necessarily pushing their, their gender. Yes. And from those early moments of your career, before we talk a bit more about kind of the entrepreneurial nature of them, what you went on to do, you know, you must have had quite a lot of knockbacks. It's that's quite tough to be hearing that. You know, I can't go for promotions. I want to. I'm trying to imagine that today, being told can't go for these promotions, can't do things you want to do. You're in a very male-dominated industry. What do you think kept you going? Kept you getting up every morning and thinking this is worth still fighting for? Because I guess there would have been much easier paths for you to take. I think we all choose our lifestyle according to our interests. And I love the scientific world. I loved computers. It was like falling in love again with computers. <laughs> so I did desperately want to do that job. Um, nothing really was going to stop me. There's another big incentive also is that you've got to have a job. Yes. Um, yeah. I was a refugee, so I started off right at the bottom, and I needed to earn. I need. I it was a good job. Yeah. Um, I thought I was amazingly lucky to get a job um, at the <laughs> age of eighteen. Um, I'd got decent A levels, so they were called something different then, <laughs> and I was paid the grand sum of two hundred and fifteen pounds a year. Oh, now wow. I know inflation makes that, <laughs> but that was still very, very little. Yeah. So I had to hang on to that job. Yeah, we used to get paid in cash, um, mm. and um, each month, because we were paid monthly, I got a five-pound note, which used to be these large, white, <laughs> lovely things. And each month, I tried not to spend that five pounds. Okay. And each month, there was more month than money, and I really uh. <laughs> <laughs> all went, all went. So it's a mixture of passion and practicality, which I think lots of our listeners will uh, definitely associate with. One of the things that really stuck out for me when I was reading the book is that early in your career and actually you know, very soon after kind of starting work, you were very committed to learning and developing yourself further. So you talk about going to do things like evening classes, you gained a degree, a master's. You did something actually both Helen and I have done, which is you were taking holiday and in your holiday you went and did work experience elsewhere. We both have done that or we've taken holiday from one job to go and do another. Do you think you've always had that love of learning? Has that been something that's driven you throughout your career? Absolutely. But again, there's a sort of practicality about it. I mean, education is the way in which you pull yourself up by your mm. own bootstraps. It is important. It is the only way in which 
you can move forward unless yeah. you're going to win the football pools or something. <laughs> um, so I do, I love to learn, I love to do new things. I cannot imagine, well, I mean, in the computing industry, I, I just could not imagine why I should be paid so well for doing something that I enjoyed so much. <laughs> um, but there it is, and I became a competent coder, then later on a supervisor, manager, and gradually moved into uh, the sea ridge. Yeah. And so you were 29 and you've been working in places like the post office, which I imagined were quite structured, uh, whether they were well organised, but certainly I'm imagining there were kind of clear hierarchies. What was it that made you think, now I'm going to go and start my own business? Because that's quite a big decision, quite an unusual decision in those times. Even now, lots of people would say that's a really brave decision to make at, at quite a young age. I was already married. That gives a certain amount of confidence because I yeah. had one salary coming into mm -hmm. the family and I think that is important and not everybody has that pleasure. It was sexism again. Something happened at work and it was the last straw that I just right. really wasn't going to put up with this patronising and so on. And I went home and thought about it very carefully and came in and gave my notice the next day. But I'd had this idea floating around that software was more important than it was considered. Mm. And that's what makes me a disruptive manager because yeah. I did new things. Software at that time wasn't sold at all. And the idea of having a new product that wasn't on the market at all and providing it, supplying it with an all-female company mm -hmm. workforce that was a double new and um, I think I'm remembered more for what I've done for women than the little bits of things that I've moved on in the computer world I'm classed as a late pioneer of the industry I'm in the computing museums of uh, Bletchley Park and California yeah. so I'm a museum piece <laughs> I don't that is a claim to fame that I suspect not many people have which is pretty impressive Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
Do you remember how you felt when you were starting that business in, say, that first year? The first year is often typically tricky, you know, when you're starting at your own business. Were you kind of nervous, scared, excited? I was excited, definitely. I wasn't that nervous. And I repeat, really, the fact that there was one salary coming into the family really was important. I found the ability to make my own decisions and implement them in the way that I wanted, because I did things in a different way. I hadn't been to business school or anything, so I didn't really know what one wasn't supposed to do in <laughs> business, so I just went ahead and did it. So I did all sorts of unusual things. Yeah. And people said, you did what? Amazing, amazing. But it, it did move the the sector on, and it did prove to be a forerunner, really, of the gig economy, moving yes. away from the command and control that we'd had in the past to a management style that was much more flexible, that gave women what we always say we want, work-life balance and flexibility. And my company really gave flexibility in the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, you could work in the office, you could work from home, you could work as a consultant, you can work salaried, you can work with something called min-max contracts, of which zero-hour contracts are a special case. Um, you could work... Um, summertime only, you could work wintertime only. It was extraordinary. And it it just suited the workforce Mm. that we were after. I think what's interesting when I was reading is I I still think it's extraordinary today. I think when I was looking at all the things that you introduced and you kind of had as part of your culture, so remote working, actually shared ownership. You talk a lot in the book about... I'm very proud of that. Shared ownership. And um, I think I've learned a lot about shared ownership from reading the book. And it's something that I intuitively feel really passionate about as well um but actually I also learned how hard it is I think mm. from from reading your book you were very honest about that's not an easy thing to make happen job shares paying people on outcomes rather than hours and even things like having a and you actually share in, in its entirety in the book the kind of mission and values of a company which again you know is talked about now and companies have started to do it more credibly over the last few years but do you think this is a feminine thing that one wants to sort of I think I always wanted to formalise the sort of culture that we'd got in a very special company. It was lovely. Mm. It was a very happy period. And we worked like a family company, even when it got to hundreds of staff. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, actually, whether a lot of the people that we work with who are in, you know, maybe in their 20s now, I think if you listed a lot of those things, I think actually regardless of whether you're male or female... That's what people say. People, people actually are... That's what they're looking for from their work. They're looking for a sense of uh, identity and fulfilment, a sense of freedom to combine all their different interests and actually want to work for something that they care about, feel that they are part of. And I think what's happening at the moment um, is that one has organisations have more and more a sense of purpose. Mm. So what we used to think of corporate social responsibility has now really turned into branding, which you wouldn't understand more than me. But it is a very different approach, and that has taken place in in certainly my work life. Yes, and I think people are starting to make more proactive choices based on brands and organisations that have purpose in their DNA and at their heart. And actually, they're finding out companies who are just doing the kind of greenwashing thing at a surface level. So this need for transparency. And that's what I actually really felt like I was learning about your company. You weren't doing it because you just thought it would be a good PR exercise. You were doing it because it was just in the DNA of of the organisation. But it's also in my DNA because Mm. an entrepreneurial company starts off as an extension of the individual or individuals you're managed with too. 
And that makes its own difficulties because you start off, it's me and then it's the company, my company. Mm. And gradually the company has a life of its own yeah. and, and, and the entrepreneur has to back off. And yeah. I found that extremely difficult emotionally. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but I'm very proud to have actually managed succession in the end. But it took me three attempts. Yeah. There will have been lots of tough moments and people often describe running your own business, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. People talk about kind of the roller coaster, the roller coaster effect. When you were having some of those tough moments and you're very honest about them in the book, whether it's not feeling maybe you're quite at the core of what is your own company, I think there was an example where maybe the name of the company was changed and you didn't know or you, you found out quite late. And, and I was in that moment, I was really feeling for you. I was like, why did... I mean, come on, someone in PR should have at least let you know. I was like, that's a rookie mistake. That must have felt really, really hard. Did you ever think about just giving up and going to do something different? No, I have a certain pride. Um, Again, it's a sexist thing that I'm darned if I'm going to let people get me down. Mm. And even when things were very tough, I forced myself to give a really facade of success and of being on top of things, put a smile on my face so that people didn't really know how tough it was. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives business to a needy company. You have to actually have that possibility of a a good future. And when I'm um, presenting, you know, some big conferences and I ask people in the audience how many people want to start their own business, I would say on average 70 to 80% of people are putting up their hands. I am amazed. They have no idea how difficult it is. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question, was I think from reading your book, you give all of the pros, but I also got all of the cons. I think starting your own business is not for everyone. Do you think entrepreneurs have a certain type, like there's a certain type of person that is better as an entrepreneur? Do you think it's about having a brilliant idea? Do you feel like, you know, you've talked a bit about the kind of stability elsewhere within your family that allowed you to do it so if someone's listening now and thinking should I do it should I take the plunge because I think often people are they've kind of got the idea but they're not sure whether to do it or not I mean firstly they should read your book because they'll get they'll get all of the all of the highs and lows but where would you management book on its own yeah 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 Uh, what would you encourage people to think about if they are thinking about starting their own business the difficulties are significant the rewards are very exciting. Yeah, um, It's not a one-way street. If you start a business and it doesn't succeed, you can start another yes. business or do yeah. something else. I've certainly had my career's pretty squiggly and mm-hmm. I've got to start with computing, but now I work in autism. I consider myself to be in the autism sector. So it's this ability to formulate and achieve your own future. It is this being in charge of your own life, being able to make it not something that I want to do this or I want to have that, but I want to be this sort of person. And I don't think you can teach entrepreneurism, but uh, you can certainly see the characteristics that lead to successful entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs, we're remembered for our successes, and I've had a couple... But, you know, I've had dozens of failures and you just have to pick yourself up and brush yourself Mm. down, put a smile on your face and go out next time. 
And I think that's sometimes one of the things that um, yeah, even things like social media don't necessarily help with because I think sometimes you see the shiny moments and you don't see all of the stuff underneath the surface. And even somebody said to me this morning, uh, I was talking to one of my friends, I said, oh, I'm really excited, but I'm a bit nervous. And she's known me for 10 or 11 years. I uh, ran a charity for a while and she was part of the volunteer group. She said to me, oh, I've never heard you say that you're nervous before. And I was thinking there are loads of times I've been nervous, but to your point, she's probably only ever seen the successes, yes. the kind of shiny veneer. I think increasingly leaders um, and entrepreneurs are talking more about some of their vulnerabilities, which I think is helpful for people to realise that often sometimes things don't go to plan and you learn as much from your failures. And you, you talked about a few successes. Um, they're quite big successes when you, when you go through the book. So you're being very humble. So let's move on. I'd love to talk a little bit more about some of the philanthropy work that you did. So you did a few, um, some really interesting non-executive roles, particularly one at John Lewis, which I think with the shared ownership is fascinating. But both during your business career and after that, you have dedicated an awful lot of time, effort and money to supporting philanthropic causes, particularly within the area of autism, not not exclusively, because you've, you've also done some things particularly within computing and, and IT. What have you found has been similar and different between kind of the business world and the kind of charitable philanthropy world? I'm glad you brought that up because, in fact, they're very similar and people think of them as very different. You have different metrics, the charity measures in terms, in humanitarian terms or whatever it is, whereas for an organisation, corporate social responsibility is very much a little sort of add-on. All the skills that are needed to run an organisation apply equally to profits and not-for-profits. So it's not as different as you think. The pleasure comes, I think, from the having that purpose in the business. And it's something that modern business has picked up, that to have a charter, a mission, a purpose, a, a strong culture, and culture is enormously strong. I mean, my company started in 1962, it has this co-ownership that happened, I forget when, but, you know, mid its life. And today, some of that culture is still there. You have the papers that are going out are still stuff that I designed. Amazing. Um, you know, which is amazing, you know, 40, 50 years afterwards, that the culture is still there. Yeah. And when you think about your proudest achievement so far, can you pick one thing? Or do you feel that there's lots of kind of things along, along the way? I always think taking my company into co-ownership is something I'm enormously proud of. Yeah. You say it was difficult, and indeed it was. It took me 11 years. Mm. But, in fact, it's been much easier these days. The okay. tax situation is um, That's reassuring. Really honestly, I read it and thought, oh, no, that's yeah, sounds no, really no, no. hard. <laughs> it, it is much, much, okay. much easier now. Um, and, and the whole idea of sharing, you know, a smaller portion of a larger cake is, is, is a very natural one, I think. Yeah. And with your philanthropy work, which you, you're still very active in today, there's a brilliant book by a lady called Linda Grattan who works at London Business School. And she says that uh, uh, life used to be about kind of a three-stage life, education, work, and then retirement. And yeah. her hypothesis is that basically retirement's going to disappear. People like me, probably you're going to work for much longer. And that actually it's a good thing for people to keep working, both in terms of mental capacity, but also financially and economically, people are going to I need think to keep working. very, very true. And I mean, I don't believe in retirement. I have a uh, wonderful lifestyle. So that was actually going to be my question, was like, do you see that as a thing? Because I was reading it and thinking, well, she's clearly not finished or done. She's obviously still 
writing I mean, books I'm, or I'm, reading about films that are going to be made about you. Sounds like you're still quite busy. My husband retired at the age of 57 after 40 years' work because he started early as well. And he has been retired for 40 years now. Wow. You know, whereas I'm at 86, I'm still going strong and yes. intend to do so as long as, as people want to pay me to give speeches or whatever it is that I'm doing. I don't think I've got another book. I don't think I've got <laughs> another TED Talk. I think I've shot my boat there. Also, um, there's a lot of work, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> So just to finish, we always ask all of our guests for their best piece of career advice for our listeners. So if you were thinking about one thing, what would it be? I think it's something I've already touched on, to choose something that is helps to take you into the sort of person you want to be. It's all about values. That's very topical and really meaningful because we've actually done quite a few podcasts specifically on values and it's yeah. really the area that has resonated I think with our listeners and it's when when we do workshops on values I would say it's probably the most transformational workshop we do mm. there are some that are practically very useful and helpful but that's the one where I think people have their aha moments and realize maybe why they're not happy at work at the moment or how they could be happier or actually why they love what they do it's often because it's very well aligned with their values So as always, if you'd like to find out more um, about Dame Stephanie Shirley, what we will do on our blog post on the website, we'll link to all of the resources that we've talked about today and probably some more. So um, the one thing we haven't mentioned actually is there's a lovely Desert Island Discs. If if you'd like to listen to Dame (laughs) Stephanie on Desert Island Discs, you can. So we'll put that on there. There's the book, lots of speeches coming up. There's um, the TED Talk that we've talked about. And so all of those things uh, will all be on the blog post and we'll make sure we also share them on Instagram. But it's been a real pleasure and a privilege, Dame Stephanie, for coming to talk to us. uh, And we're really grateful. And I know our listeners are too. So thank you very much. It has indeed been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.